and welcome to the Trust Your Body Project. Trust Your Body Project is a podcast and social media movement designed to help you heal, eat, and create space for the things that truly matter. I'm your host, Whitney Catalano. I'm an anti-diet, health-at-every-size registered dietitian, helping you stop dieting, make peace with your body, and take the power back from your inner bully. Welcome to episode number 31. Today's episode, I'm talking to a dietitian by the name of Vinci Choi, who reached out to me when I was looking for podcast guests a while ago on Twitter because she used to work in bariatrics and then became a health at every size dietitian and now has a private practice. She's based in Canada and she has a really unique perspective on what it's like to become a health at every size provider after working for a few years in bariatric surgery and she just sheds light on that whole process and we talk about misconceptions around health at every size we talk about intuition and mindfulness and how mindfulness is you know taken out of the original pure context of it and morphed into diet culture and yeah it's very interesting I will say that I did this recording or this interview a while ago so I think the way that I would go about it now is different than the way that I went about it at the time but I don't want to just scrap the episode because I feel like it's still got a lot of really great thought-provoking moments and interesting information for you and just It's a different perspective, and that's what I'm always looking for on this podcast is I want a lot of different voices, different perspectives, and like different conversations to be happening because this is such a big topic that has so much room for exploration. So with all of that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you were keeping an eye on my Instagram, you may have noticed that Club TYB is now open and this podcast is brought to you by Club TYB. So what is Club TYB? You may be wondering. Well, I will tell you. Club TYB is my membership site. It is for anyone who is healing their relationship with food, their relationship with their bodies, maybe your relationship with anxiety and just confidence in general, even if it's not necessarily about your body, but just about speaking out or taking up space or being seen and needs a safe space that's completely diet culture free to go through that. I created this membership site because there are, I mean, there's a fair amount of spaces here and there online that are supportive and diet culture free, but I think that there always can be more. And I know that for a long time, I had people asking me to do a Facebook group or something after I had my Patreon. And this was my alternative. This was my replacement for Patreon. I launched this a few months ago and I spent the last couple months with Club TYB completely closed, ironing out the kinks and finding out what people wanted, surveying everyone who was in it, and now I'm ready to open it back up. So the way that it's structured is that I do one or two, depending on the month, if there's holidays, live streams on a specific topic. I do a deep dive on that topic, and you get a chance to ask me questions, submit your questions ahead of time if you can't make the live stream. And then I also do a guest live stream every month on a specific topic that I don't know a lot about, and I get to ask a lot of questions, and you get to ask questions. So like I said in the last episode, this past month in October, I had a conversation with Lindsay Hall, who came on my podcast recently, and we talked about drunkorexia. It's a term that she coined a few years back and that she loves talking about because she's really passionate about, you know, this intersection between alcoholism and eating disorders and how, you know, drunkorexia to her is very different than alcoholism because it's just an extension of the eating disorder rather than a bad relationship with alcohol independently. So... 
we talked a lot about that. There were some really great questions. We even talked about, you know, how we would both define recovery, which I thought was interesting and a great question from someone in the group. So if you want to be able to watch that, head on over to trustyourbodyproject.com and you can find out more about Club TYB. You can also just head to my website, winniecatalano.com, and there will be, you know, flashing lights all over the website being like, join Club TYB here. So that is how you can join. Um, This month is a surprise guest. So if you want to find out who that guest is, you'll have to join. But The good news is Club TYB is staying open. We're going to be doing a lot of holiday conversations, how to navigate fat phobic relatives, how to set your boundaries during the holidays, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a place that you can vent. So if you are sitting at dinner and someone says something that's really terrible, you can run to your room or run to wherever and post something in the Facebook group and just get it off your chest. And that is a way that I am so happy to support you. If that sounds like something you're looking for, a place online where you are free from diet culture to, you know, talk about your healing, get support, and learn more on your journey, then head to trustyourbodyproject.com or you can head to winniecatalano.com and click on the button that says join Club TOAB and learn more about the different options for joining and what it's all about. The membership I tried to keep affordable. There's two ways you can join. You can either join monthly, it's $19 a month, or you can get six months for the price of five. And if you join for the six months for the price of five, you also get my online course, Five Pillars to Food Freedom. The reason why I'm giving this away is because I think it's really important for everyone in the group to start off with kind of the same information. So this covers what I consider to be the big five pillars of food freedom, um, how to have, you know, health at every size is lifestyle, listening to hunger and fullness cues, emotional eating, the science of why diets don't work, and... Oh, the mindset. That's probably my favorite video. I can't believe I almost forgot about it. So Five Pillars of Food Freedom, which is going to be sold at my website for $50, or you can get it for free if you join Club TYB for six months. So head on over there and learn more about it. And I can't wait to see you in Club TYB in the Facebook group. And as always, I am now taking on new one-on-one coaching clients. So if you're interested in that, head on over to winniecatalano.com slash book. I am going to save you the pitch this time because I just, you know, talked your ear off about Club TYB. But you can learn more about my coaching at WhitneyCatalano.com slash book or just WhitneyCatalano.com. I have a lot of information over my website so you can find out more. I would love to work with you. I only have a few spots open right now. So if you want to snatch one of those spots up, you'll actually get a free membership to Club TYB with your coaching, which is awesome. I mean, I think is awesome. So yeah, head on over to WhitneyCatalano.com. You can apply for a free call and I can get to know you and support you in that free call. And then if it ends up that you want to continue on with coaching, I cannot wait to support you and be there for you and walk beside you on this journey. So, okay, I will stop talking now, but let's get into this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Um, If you have any comments, questions, concerns, whatever, you know where to find me on Instagram. Feel free to reach out and tell me what you think. Okay, bye. So for today's episode, we have um, a fellow dietitian. Her name is Vinci Choi. She's a former bariatric dietitian turned certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and health at every size advocate. She's the author of the Mindful Eating Workbook, Simple Practices for Nurturing a Positive Relationship with Food. Vinci is passionate about helping people find freedom in their relationship with food and their body so that they can confidently step away from diet culture and live life on their own terms. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously had to take the chance to talk to you and I'm really glad that you reached out to me, I think on Twitter, because you have a very like unique perspective and journey to the health at every size world. So I would love to just dive on into that. Sure. Yeah. So, so as you kind of read in my bio there, I used to work in bariatric surgery. I was actually working at the clinic for over five years. And one of the things that I like to say about my career is that like a lot of things kind of fell into my lap or it wasn't necessarily planned out that way. Like, so I didn't go in becoming a dietitian, like being really passionate about bariatric surgery or or weight management. But at the time, I think I was trying to grow a private practice and this position came up that was part-time. So I was like, okay, it's part-time. And like most people sort of fell into that um, quote unquote epidemic rhetoric, kind of being like, well, I'm not passionate about weight management per se. And I think even in my cover letter to apply for this position, I did say that like that I did say something along the lines of like, if you had told me that I would be working in weight management, like I wouldn't have believed you sort of thing. But at the same time, I, you know, like the epidemic is a serious situation sort of thing. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I got that job in the first place. I find one of the things that's really interesting about the sort of the bariatric world in Canada is that Canada as an organization is very paradigm straddling. So if you actually like go on Canada's Twitter profile or their website or whatever, like one of the things that they do talk about is this idea of trying to fight against weight stigma. They have like an image bank showing higher weight people in positive light. So I think like I went into the world of bariatrics kind of already straddling sort of weight neutral and weight centric already. So I think when I learned about health at every size, it was easier for me to kind of grasp onto those concepts and eventually move away from the work that I was doing in bariatrics. And the one sort of specific thing that really made me finally take the leap because I think for the longest time, like I was like, well, I could practice like covert health at every size in that bariatric clinic environment. Like the way that I kind of framed myself was like, I'm a surgical dietitian, So I'm going to make sure that you're going into the surgery well nourished and like making sure that you're able to meet your needs given the restriction of the surgery. Like that was kind of how I tried to position myself within the clinic. But ultimately what happened was I think a couple summers ago, ASDA published a blog by a clinician who was trying to straddle both sides and there was huge pushback. Like people were really upset by this blog post and some of the comments that I read were people saying, you know, like you're still making money off the backs of oppressing fat people and I wouldn't be able to trust a clinician who was working in both bariatric surgery and saying that they were health at every size. So that's really what made me, you know, kind of take that final leap of like leaving that world altogether. Yeah. That's really interesting because I have actually held a pretty controversial opinion on that, exactly what you just said. 
Hey, it's present day me. So I uh, did this interview a long time ago before I even moved to my new place. Um, and my opinions have changed. So in this next part, I talk about how um, I believe, or I had this opinion at the time, that potentially health at every size dietitians or providers should work in bariatric, like clinical bariatric settings as part of the, you know, because if you're a candidate for bariatric surgery or you're interested in getting it, um, you have to, it's like a requirement that you have to go see a dietitian. And so I was like, how great would that be if during those meetings, then at least, you know, this idea of health at every size could be introduced to the client for the sake of informed consent, right? Because I just, and we talk about this in the episode, I'm keeping it in, but I wanted to clarify. Um, but yeah, like informed consent is a really big problem here. And we are, you know, sending people into bariatric surgery without them even realizing that, like, you don't have to get that surgery in order to, like, be healthy in a bigger body. And I think that's a huge reason why a lot of people do it. So that was my opinion at the time. Now, the deeper I've gotten into this field and into this work, I've realized that, like, I just don't think it's really possible for a health at every size provider to work in a clinical setting like that just because um, of cognitive dissonance and then also you know, I, I talked about it a little bit here. Like, I get why it's so confusing for people who do see, you know, love your body, weight neutral, like da 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 da, but also lose weight messaging. Like, it's just very confusing. And it's, I think it makes it murkier. And the fact that diet culture is adopting health at every size lingo or like anti diet lingo, but it's, they're still selling diets. Like, that's very, very problematic and harmful because, you know, the general population doesn't necessarily know better. So I'm realizing now, or I've realized, that obviously this is not the solution. And I think it should be a requirement if you're going to get bariatric surgery that you are informed about what health at every size is. I think that that needs to be a part of informed consent. And the fact that it's not shows our fat phobic bias in medicine. So that's my current stance on it. I'm still going to leave the clip as it is so that y'all can hear about kind of my thoughts and musings on it earlier, probably like six months ago. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to update you on like my current, <laughs> my current, you know, perspective on the whole thing, because it's definitely not fully the, the stance I take on it anymore. Okay. Bye. That I wish that there were more people willing to straddle the line and work in surgery clinics, because how else are people going to be introduced to, to health at every size. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not that I would ever feel comfortable straddling the line. <laughs> I think that would slowly deteriorate me from the inside out if I were to straddle the line. So the reason I even was able to come to that opinion is because I was on a plane back from Fancy last year and I met a dietitian who was basically doing that, except she had never really heard of health at every size. She was working in bariatric surgery and helping inform hospital practices around it, but she was unknowingly like taking a kind of health at every size approach to it, if that's even possible. And I was like, hmm, this, like, I'm glad there's at least compassionate caregivers on that side of the line. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's sort of a tricky thing sometimes because at the end of the day, like we are all people and we all have like the capacity to be compassionate. And so it it is hard to disentangle sometimes. Like I think one of the things that I've been 
sort of working on myself is this idea of like, yeah, essentially like not throwing out the baby with the bathwater um, in terms of like when someone is straddling the line, can I still be supporting and sharing their work while keeping in mind like my audience and what they're looking for and what they're triggered by that kind of thing and and it's it's hard because like I think everybody is at different points in their own journey and no one is born like without prejudice like um, no one is born perfect and and knowing about privilege and all these other things so yeah, it's, it, it's hard to really say, like have a hard stance on some of these things sometimes. Yeah. And I think what you said is key, right? That we have to be mindful of what we're sharing to our audience, because if I'm facing my audience, I will not share anyone who might be, you know, I'm not going to link to someone who might trigger someone with an eating disorder. I'm not going to, I'm just going to be very, very careful and very selective with what I share. But when we're talking about, you know, conversations within the dietetic community, that's a little bit different because, you know, we, there is nuance here. You have to look at the full spectrum and Mm -hmm. realize that there's a reason why our health at every size bubble is such a bubble and why people have literally never heard about it because we don't have people in the middle of the road. And I'm not saying that that, you know, I also see the downsides of having people in the middle of the road because that's confusing. It's really confusing to have someone, you know, saying one thing and working in an entirely different area. And that would be really confusing for a patient to see. But I don't know. I, I think there's no clear answer on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely like a tough thing. And and I agree. I think it's about respecting that we're all people and that we're all at different places in terms of our learning and unlearning. Sometimes it is important to kind of reach out to bring people into the movement while at the same time being conscious of not causing confusion. So when you took that leap into full health at every size, how did, like, were there any struggles or any monumental moments that you want to share that stand out to you? I was still working at the bariatric clinic, I think for about like the first year or so that I was learning more about health at every size and, and body liberation and that kind of thing. And I remember like I was very, I think partly because of that blog post as well, I was very quiet about the fact that I was working in bariatric surgery, but I went to Fiona Sutherland and Marcy Evans. They had like a body image workshop uh, series. And their first one was actually last November in New York. So I went there and that was when you know, I kind of started coming out and sharing like why I went to that workshop, because I remember at the time, the psychologist at the bariatric clinic was running a body image workshop, but obviously it was like, it had some sort of, it had some harmful elements in there. I really wanted to be able to, you know, see what I could bring to the table in a way that 
wasn't as like weight centric and problematic. And what I found was that health at every size clinicians were very, very supportive of me. They weren't like shaming me for like working in bariatric. Whereas I think that sometimes, especially clinicians who are new to health at every size, they can feel a lot of shame for not like being perfect or, or they tend to hold back because they're worried about saying the right thing or like they're worried about saying the wrong thing and getting into trouble or whatever. And again, like I think what's more important is putting yourself out there and showing people that you are an ally and yeah, recognizing that you're not going to get it perfect, but it's more important to be out there and take up space rather than trying to close in on yourself and wait until you're perfect before you get out there. Absolutely. And I think that applies to any social justice conversation, any social justice realm. Obviously, you don't want to do harm, but the line between doing harm and messing up like, is pretty big. If you mess up, when it gets harmful is when you mess up, you get called out, and then you double down on what you said, and you get really defensive and like, I'm not, you know, whatever. As long as you're open to learning, and I've talked about this in another interview on my podcast before, um, as long as you're open to learning and open to being wrong and open to, you know, learning out loud and saying, I'm not going to be perfect and we're going to, we, I might say something wrong and I'll fix it. If I do, then I feel like that's the best place to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think your point about like doubling down and being defensive versus being open to learning is really like the biggest difference between being someone who is able to make a difference versus being someone who is causing harm and will continue to cause harm. Occasionally, I will get a question in my DMs on Instagram from someone who is scheduled to get bariatric surgery and somehow came across my account and is looking for advice on what to do. And you know, that gets sticky because I don't give out really personalized advice like that on Instagram. I give more sort of general things because... Um, uh, like, you know, you just can't do that. <laughs> and obviously, you know, body autonomy is real. And I never want to be like shaming someone for wanting to get bariatric surgery because at the end of the day, the way that I see it is one, that person is being told that this is going to be the best thing for their health. And then two, it's a form of assimilating. If that's what someone wants to do for their body, then yeah, like do it. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't, but there is always this thought that comes into my head when someone DMs me is like, are you having doubts? Why are you DMing me? And have you been told that there's other options like that a body acceptance is an option or health at every size is an option. So how do you like, what's your perspective on this and what advice would you give in this situation? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you are being very intuitive by being like, well, obviously they're messaging me because they're having doubts or they're looking to see if there are other options there. So I think a good starting point might be just to name that, you know, like it, it sounds like um, you're messaging me because you're having doubts about this, or maybe you're looking for a second opinion. And, um, you know, this is very like motivational interviewing, but really just kind of naming that ambiguity and letting the person sit with the ambiguity. Cause you're also right about the idea around body autonomy and allowing the person to ultimately be the one making the decision. So yeah, like it's not our role to tell people not to have surgery, but 
informed consent is very important. You know, I think naming that, you know, it sounds like you're having doubts or you're having some questions around the surgery, you know, maybe you can offer to support them by like, do you have any question about the risks of the surgery that I might be able to like share some articles or share some resources around that might help you make your decision. But yeah, it, it's definitely a tricky thing as well when it over Instagram and not your actual client, that there is a limit uh, to how much you can provide. And I think that's important to name as well. So I think it's really about being transparent about like what you are seeing in what they're saying, sort of reading between the lines, being transparent about what you can offer like over social media as opposed to like an actual client and, you know, really emphasizing the idea of informed consent as opposed to trying to sway their decision one way or another. And this idea of informed consent that you brought up is so important and I think is one of the biggest things that I try to get across to my Instagram audience because people want me to just take a stand and like talk about, you know, tell them if they are quote unquote allowed to lose weight or not, which is like, I'm not going to, what? Like, what is that? What kind of question is that? You know? And I get it. I do get why they want me to come down on one side and be like, you know, no, you're never allowed to diet again. Or yes, you are like whatever. But at the end of the day, it really is just about informed consent. And I think one of the biggest problems with our health care industry, aside from the fact that, you know, the weight-centric approach is stigmatizing, is just the simple fact that patients are not even given another option. They're not even told that, hey, you don't have to lose weight. Here are all of your treatment options. Yes. And for example, you know, with diabetes or something like that, it's like they're often told you have to lose weight to prevent your, or reduce your risk of diabetes or whatever it may be and not given any other options. And it's just, that to me is really unsettling because that's not informed consent. And then when we're talking about something as extreme as surgery, we really need to be completely informing the patient of like what their research shows and not just kind of funneling people into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's tough too, because I think the information that is provided is colored by the biases of the individual doctors or healthcare professionals or clinicians. And, And I think that's sometimes something that we all tend to forget is that, you know, doctors are people, health professionals are people, clinicians are people. And you know, even researchers are people. So we all bring in like a certain amount of bias into that work. And so it's, it's so hard because it's not the be all end all. And one of the things that, you know, I've been sort of thinking about as well is the amount of privilege a person almost requires to be able to navigate our medical system effectively that in itself is just such a a significant part of this whole thing. To having options for treatment, to being able to afford to go to a doctor or to choose where you go, to knowing how to talk about this stuff or advocate for themselves, to like, it's just layers and layers of privilege that you would need to have any idea. Not And not to mention too, the impact of marginalization and the impact of poverty on health. It's like there, it, it, there's just so much to this conversation. 
Yeah, it could be a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So switching gears a little bit, I saw on your website that you had some really great articles. I'm a big fan of your website, but you have one website, I mean, what, one article in particular where you talk about the biggest misconceptions around health at every size or haze, if you all have, anyone listening has seen that, H-A-E-S. And I was hoping you could talk about just one of the biggest misconceptions that people tend to have about haze? Mm-hmm. I think probably the biggest one is that health at every size means healthy at every size. And that like what health at every size is saying is that like everyone is healthy no matter what size they're at. That's probably the most common misconception around haze. Mm-hmm. And so can you explain a little bit about why? Because I've seen those memes and stuff where dietitians will be like, it's not healthy, it's health at every size. And it's never really bothered me when someone says healthy at every size. It just lets me know that they don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that's true. <laughs> but explain it a little more for anyone listening. Sure. So health at every size is a paradigm or framework that comes out of the fat acceptance movement. And ASDA, the Association for Size, Diversity and Health, they own the registered trademark for Health at Every Size. And they've sort of outlined that Health at Every Size is um, four principles. So I don't have them in front of me, but it includes weight inclusivity and movement and activity and all those sorts of things. I think a lot of people maybe I might even change my answer to what my biggest misconception is. But I think when people see health at every size, they think it's saying that all sizes are healthy. And because fat phobia is so prevalent and so strong in our society, they're like, well, that can't be true at all. Obviously, fat people are unhealthy or like, what about people who are really thin and emaciated? Like, how can you say that they are healthy? And that's not what health at every size is about at all. Health at every size is really just talking about this paradigm. And the core belief is that no matter what size you are, you can pursue health if that is a value for you. So at the end of the day, health at every size is not a statement on who is healthy or unhealthy. It's really saying that health is something that people can pursue if they choose to, regardless of what size they are right now and regardless of what size they end up being over time. Like size shouldn't have anything to do with health. Uh, Yes. I love how you clarified that at the end of being like, if they choose to pursue health, you can pursue it at any size. And it's not a statement on everyone's healthy and we're all okay. And because I think people tend to use that healthy at every size or whatever, and that sort of misunderstanding of what it is as a way of being like, this isn't based in evidence. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Like they kind of use it as a way to discredit health at every size. Yeah. Or to be like, you know, health at every size is actually anti-health because there's no way that people are healthy or whatever. And again, that's not what it's about. And 
yeah, and it's really just saying no matter what size you are, you can engage in behaviors that are health promoting and it shouldn't have anything to do with what size you are. So you wrote a book, The Mindful Eating Workbook, Simple Practices for Nurturing a Positive Relationship with Food. And I tried to talk about this in another interview, but it didn't really go the direction that I thought it was going to go. So I thought I would ask (laughs) you, it was just kind of, I don't think they totally were familiar with like what I was referring to. So that's fine. Um, But I thought I would ask you, mindful eating just like intuitive eating has. And, you know, I talked to Evelyn Triboli on my podcast at the beginning and she was like, not pleased about the way that intuitive eating has been morphed on the internet, but mm, mindful so hardcore on so- social media lately. It's oh, awesome. I know. I love it. She's, <laughs> she's a spitfire. Someone called her that. And I was like, that is such a good, yeah, it's a perfect description of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but so she she obviously wasn't pleased. And so I, I was hoping to get your perspective on it of mindful eating too has definitely morphed online to be this very restrictive mindful eating to lose weight kind of thing. And I remember when I was dieting back in college, you know, I used to try to put my fork down b- between each bite and like do all of these super restrictive quote unquote, mindful eating practices that were not mindful eating. Like that's not mindfulness. So I was hoping that you could kind of explain the difference there and let me know your thoughts on all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I did write a blog post on the difference between mindful eating and intuitive eating and talking a little bit about how they're both supposed to be weight neutral. But I think what makes mindful eating and intuitive eating, I think, so easy for the weight loss industry to co-opt is because I don't think they started as weight neutral practices or explicitly weight neutral practices. And it's only been kind of more in recent years where with intuitive eating with mind uh, or even the Center for Mindful Eating, for example, kind of put out a position statement being like mindful eating is weight neutral sort of thing. And so So I think that's part of the reason why it's been so easy for the weight loss industry to kind of co-opt mindful eating to be like, oh, if you are more mindful, then you will eat less. And then like, that's going to be what helps you lose weight. So the way that I talk about it in my book is I trace it back to mindful eating is rooted in the Buddhist practice of mindfulness. And what mindfulness really is, is about awareness of the present moment without judgment. So when we talk about mindful eating, it's really bringing that practice of mindfulness into the act of eating. So mindful eating is, you know, bringing that mindful awareness into the present moment without judgment when it comes to, you know, eating, cooking, or even going back to choosing the food that you're going to eat, that kind of thing. And so if we're talking about the present moment, then weight loss is a future outcome. So you're really taking away from the spirit of mindfulness if you are focused on this future outcome of weight loss. And so mindful eating is really about like focusing on the present. And the other piece, the non-judgment is huge too, because again, with weight loss, if you're expecting a specific outcome, then obviously that there is going to be a judgment happening whether or not that outcome happens, right? Mm. And so it's kind of how it can get twisted. I don't know if that's a good 
<laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I've actually never thought about that part of it before. So you just really opened my eyes on that, which is, you're right. Thinking about weight loss is future and mindful is in the moment. And when you're thinking about the future, you are totally taken out of the present moment. And that exact concept is something that I've explained to clients and something that I've helped clients realize, but I've never thought about it in the terms of like why mindful eating in particular actually can't really be used for weight loss in its purest form. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people to distinguish. And I'll link to all, I'm going to link to all the articles that I am referring to, or you've referred to in this episode in the show notes. So for anyone listening, want to go check those out They're in the show notes. I guess my last question for you then, and this one is just kind of off the cuff, personal, you know, how would you describe intuition? And when is the last time that you didn't listen to your intuition and like found out later that you should have? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is deep, (laughs) right? (laughs) How would I describe intuition? I think intuition is hard to describe. And I also think there are so many ways that our culture really encourages us to pull away from or discredits the idea of intuition. Because, you know, like even I think within the dietetics field, we talk so much about evidence and science and that kind of thing, or like, show me the research that shows this or whatever. So I think the opposite of that is intuition. And really the best way to describe it with words would probably be like the idea of gut feeling. Yeah, would probably be how I would describe describe intuition. And then to answer the second part of your question was like, when was the last time that I didn't listen to my intuition and realize that I should have? Like I have an example that's as recent as yesterday. But uh, but the thing is, I am one of those people who also feels like there's not always a should and shouldn't. Mm. Um, you know, it's just, I feel like if I had listened to my intuition, then this would have been the outcome and maybe I would have preferred the, that outcome and that's fine. But, you know, I didn't and this was the outcome and that's fine too. So that's really been like helpful for me as well to kind of be a more emotionally stable person, I think. So yesterday, Oh my gosh, this is going to make me sound so petty. <laughs> I'm all here for petty. Don't worry. Oh no. um, <laughs> this is a story that's on my Instagram. So I think it's totally fine for me to say it again. So yesterday we were out. My husband works remotely and mostly from home, but there are a bunch of other coworkers and at his company who are also here locally. So about once a week or so, they will kind of work together at a coffee shop. And since I'm working from home, like in my private practice a lot too, like if I'm available, then I'll, then I'll go out with them. So I was out with them kind of at this coffee shop and my husband and I had kind of talked about like, oh, maybe we'll just stay out the whole day and we'll go out for dinner as well. And then what ended up happening was everyone kind of decided to go home at around three o'clock. And so I was like, well, I don't want to like stay out for another three hours at this coffee shop to like wait to have dinner. So maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go home. But my gut was telling me, I know that if we go home, we're probably not going to go out again. And then I'll have to think of like making something for dinner. And that is exactly what happened. And I was like, really grumpy about it. But at the end, the dinner was still good. We had Japanese curry instead of pizza. And it was good. 
So it was like, ugh, I wish I got to have pizza, but <laughs> Japanese curry is also fine. <laughs> um, that did not make you sound petty at all. Don't worry. And also, I did not know Japanese curry was even a thing. So I learned a lot from the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think your initial response to that question was totally caught me in exactly how I live my life as well. And so I'm glad you kind of, you know, addressed it because you're right. I think there is no such thing as I should have done something because realistically, once it's already happened, you don't know how, you don't know the outcome had you gone another direction. And whatever you do, like you said, like you're going to learn from it. So whatever decision you make, whether or not you go with your intuition, you know, you're going to learn from it regardless. And I really don't believe in like bad decisions necessarily, as long as you're learning from it and growing and just abiding by the law. <laughs> yeah, um, and not harming other people intentionally. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, that's like a, a sticky little conversation. But in general, I think that once you realize that your intuition was saying one thing and then you did something completely different, it doesn't matter if the outcome of doing the thing that your intuition said potentially could have resulted in a better outcome because you don't know that. And so all you do know is, okay, that's what my intuition sounds like. And cool. Good to know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And even being able to listen to your intuition is so hard. Kind of like I was saying earlier, when we live in a culture that is all about science and evidence and proof and, you know, like following the rules, I think being able to even hear your intuition is already such a gift. Yeah. We're taught for so long to sort of doubt that internal messaging board, if you will. <laughs> and to be able to strengthen that, even if you don't can't or don't necessarily follow it, but just listening to it is huge and one step closer. So gotta just honor yourself where you're at. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated you coming onto the podcast and having this conversation with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Whitney. If you are loving the Trust Your Body Project podcast and are ready to dive headfirst into your healing transformation, head on over to WhitneyCatalano.com slash food dash freedom to learn more about working with me. WhitneyCatalano.com slash food dash freedom.